Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Direction. It's Justin Nielsen here, and it's November 2nd, 2022. We just had a Fed meeting, and uh, yeah, things were looking okay for a little while, but then they then they weren't so much. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that today. And joining me, as always, is Arusha Pierce, O'Neill Global Advisors, Portfolio Manager. How are you doing, Arusha? I'm doing well, Justin. Uh, well, as can be expected, right? Well, I mean, part of that is because Arusha has shared with us in the past, part of his strategy is once the Fed meeting happens um, and Powell starts talking, he just walks away. So he uh, he, he doesn't <laughs> even know true. what happened yet. We'll have to yeah, yeah, walk I, and I pray. <laughs> I refuse. Um, but, you know, it's also a pleasure to welcome onto the show uh, John Boyk. John Boyk is an author. Uh, he's got Lessons from the Greatest Stock Traders, How Legendary Traders Made Millions, monster stocks uh he's a market historian uh, a great follow on twitter he's just always sharing a lot of knowledge and history john it's great to have you on the show how are you doing good i'm doing great thanks for having me guys i really appreciate it looking forward. oh absolutely our pleasure our pleasure so uh let's let's get right into it um you know first of all i, I think we should probably get a little bit of background on you i mean what people need to understand is kind of how you've built um, built up your kind of knowledge in in the market, and it's really been from some of the greatest traders that you've interviewed over time. Yeah, well, I started off like everybody else, not knowing what I was doing, didn't study much, um, and then made every mistake in the book and probably created some new ones. <laughs> had really, I mean, no direction until I started, until I found it, uh, a IBD paper on an airplane. Some guy left it behind in the seat. Oh, wow. And I read it. This was in the ooh, latest, not, late 90s or so. Okay. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. I read the whole paper and I was, this is the complete opposite of what I've been doing, which was mm -hmm. making every mistake you can think of. So when I got home, I looked up, up O'Neill and IBD and I bought the book, How to Make Money in Stocks. And I had read quite a few books before that on the market and mm -hmm. they just, I wasn't finding anything. So that's when I started IB, with IBD and it just started making sense, but I still didn't study the book. I kind of just read it and then I went in and then I started studying who O'Neill was and who he studied before him. Mm -hmm. What I did, I just backed up all the way and I bought all the books from uh, Gerald Loeb that he wrote, because he's had a few of them out there, the Livermore books, the Wyckoff books, Darvis, etc. And I just kept studying the history. Once I started to learn how history worked and how these guys maneuvered in and out of their markets, whatever time frame they were in, and how what the, the strategies they created, like buy rules, sell rules, right. pyramiding, cutting losses. I didn't know any of that. I was buying tips off of CNBC, you know, and yeah, not even, yeah. you know, doing what a lot of people did. So exactly. it just built from there. And then it was, I kept referring back to all those books all the time as I was learning more. And I was like, how come, how come somebody hasn't put all these strategies seem similar and yeah. they <laughs> every year of the market from the 1900, early 1900s to the current day. So I was looking for, I'm, I'm a speed reader guy. So I'm like, I'm looking for the cliff notes, right? And I couldn't find any. So I said, well, maybe I can do that. So mm -hmm. I took the pieces from each of those people 
I picked five um, of the best traders in history that they had publications out. And that's how I created the first book. And I flew to a advanced seminar that O'Neill was giving mm -hmm. and I put it in his hand and it had a letter in it. And I had like one minute with him. And I said, if you could please read this, you could just let me know if it's good, or if you should throw it in the trash or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, a month later, the senior editor from McGraw Hill called me and said, wow. William O'Neill wants us to publish this book. We don't know who you are and <laughs> whatever he wants, he gets. <laughs> They're like, well, who are you? And I just said, I'm a nobody. I'm a, I'm a big mistake maker. That's what I am. And, uh, you know, I think this could help me. It helped me. It turned, it helped turn me around. Um, the book did really well. Barron's chose it as one of the best books of the year. And, then they said, do you have another idea? And I was putting together how legendary traders made millions. I saw that story on Ropel and I stalked him. So I yeah. stalked great traders. I stalked O'Neill and gave him the book. And then I stalked Ropel at another IBD seminar after that one page um, story came out on how he killed it in 2000. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, people need to, people need to hear this story. Mm -hmm. So he's in that second book, and that book was uh, about every decade in the market and how the cycles worked and what did these great trainers, how did they sidestep these crashes and these corrections and how did they figure out when to get back in and how did they do all that? So mm -hmm. that was a lot more research. So the first one was about the traders, the second about market history, and then the third one was what were the stocks that they did? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, how did they make it? And that was uh, I took Ropel and O'Neill in a 10 year period and just said it didn't matter what decade it was or who the traders were. Yeah, they all did something similar. And that's what that one was. And then the one this year is Monster Stock Lessons. I looked at 2020 and 2021 and same things happened again. So it's just re history repeating itself over and over again. So, 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 John, real quick, what was your what was your background before you become became this author? Uh, what, what were you doing before that? Well, besides I, making mistakes in the market, <laughs> <laughs> I was um, I had a huge interest in the stock market when I was in college. Uh -huh. So i I was a finance major. I was reading okay. the journal, and when I graduated from college, um, and oh, by the way, in my junior and senior year, all my investment courses. All they taught you was CAPM and all these right. academic theories, right. Right. nothing about how the market really worked and who even succeeded at it. Right. Yeah. So when I graduated, I wanted to be a stockbroker. That's that's what I wanted to do. I got I landed a job with Oldie Discount Brokers in downtown Detroit. That's where mm -hmm. I grew up. And he at the time, this is in the mid 80s. Um, he was the biggest discount broker house in the country. Right. And so I started working there in the quote department on these little green machines where you had to, you know, we have no, nothing like we have today. All right. You had to call into a brokerage house to get a quote on stock. Uh -huh. So I was in the quote department. Then I was promoted to, then I was in sales to sell the brokerage service to banks. He was the first one to offer brokerage services to commercial banks back mm -hmm. in the mid 80s. What were some of the lessons they were teaching you back then about the markets? Were they teaching you any, any lessons? No. 
how to use the quote machine. And if somebody calls in and wants GM, you type in GM, <laughs> right? Tell them it's forty-two and a quarter. And right. here's how you read the numbers. Uh. So, I, you know, after a probably five, six months of that, then I decided I was going to take my. So I took my Series Seven and my Blue Scott bylaws exams, and passed those on the first test. And then I flew off to a, a full service house. Mm-hmm. And that was, I've said this in my Trader Lion uh, video as well. That was the biggest mistake ever made because I, I'm probably the worst salesperson that's ever lived. I'm not a good salesperson. And all we were doing is you get the telephone book because I didn't know any, I didn't grow up rich. Um, I didn't know any rich people that were going to give me their money to manage. So I had to cold call and I couldn't stand it. Yeah. And then if I got somebody who was interested, you're basically reading the sheet that the brokerage house gave you by the stock. We had no input on anything. You're just taking what the research department says Buy this with no like, when would you sell it? Or mm-hmm. there was nothing like that. So I got so discouraged with the sales side that I just quit the industry and I just took all that my um, education and I went into managerial finance. So I was, I've been a financial controller okay. with various companies over the, over 30 years. And I just recently left that whole industry. So now I'm, I weeded my way out over the last five years or so. Now I'm hundred percent focused on the market and doing more research and some other projects and things like that. But I always had an ear and an eye still to the market, even when I left the industry Mm -hmm. and I was still just doing CNBC, making mistakes left and right till I stumbled onto IBD and then just started into this. I bought, I read a couple hundred books on the market. Most of them weren't very good. Um, I donated most of those away and just kept the, uh, (laughs) I have the best ones up here. Right. Okay. Um, the, the, know, the ones that made the cut, the ones that made the cut. And, you know, you only need I have on Twitter. I've posted this several times. My top 15 books. I think there's only if you just read those 15, you're going to be on track. So yeah. You don't even read. Actually, there's probably, probably five that you need mm-hmm. in, in my book, in my mind. But um, so it was just why I wrote those books was to fill in more gaps maybe i mean i'm not inventing anything that no one else has done i'm kind of compiling right what the best did so people can learn in maybe a different manner or a faster way now i'm not trying to you know do the shortcuts with it but um like arusha i know you like that second book um there's really nothing i didn't find anything out there that laid out Here's what the market did 100 years, year right. by year. Right, okay? right, right. And here's what a great trader did in this time frame. Yeah. Sidestep this. You know, Wyckoff and Livermore and all those guys and Loeb, they all sidestepped the 29 crash. Mm-hmm. Yep. Loeb saw it. You know, that, that crash started in the first week of September. And Loeb was out of his positions by that first and second week of September, mm-hmm. the market, the market, by the time the third week of October came, when everybody thinks the crash really started, the Dow was already down 45%. Wow. From September. wow. Okay. Yeah. So 
And Loeb was, in my estimation, one of the best traders ever. I know he was a huge influence on William O'Neill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And people kind of discard his, well, Battle of the Battle for Markets, you know, Investment survival, survival. rival. Too hard to read or whatever. So I kind of simplified what he, I'm trying to simplify what he did so people can see how yeah. he maneuvered in and out. I mean, that guy, he never shorted a stock in his life. Mm -hmm. He money on the long side in 1930, 31, and 32, all three years, wow. and 29. He, he just watched the market and took these short rallies up, like the rally we just had. Mm -hmm. And it has bumped into resistance today again. The Dow hit its head on the 200-day. The NASDAQ just sliced through everything. But Loeb would, he called himself a skittish trader. It's really the beginning, from what I've studied, of swing trading. He would take shorter positions in bear market rallies. Mm -hmm. But that's, he really made all his big money on the long side in the uptrends. Mm -hmm. Like He made $2 million on Montgomery Ward alone in a couple years in the mid twenties. So I'm not trying to say his short-term trading still made him profits, but his big money, and he was a, he was a big swing trader when the market was in an uptrend shows you how much you can do when the market's behind you. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just like Darvis, that 18 month period in the late fifties, he did that in 18 months. It's great. Yeah. Now, was it was it the was it the risk management concept that really kind of made you think that there there was another way in the market? What were some of those lessons from that uh, that really got you into kind of going down this path and following these traders and learning from them? I'd say the I think I think there were more than one. So the the key ones I'd say the top three would be make sure you're in sync with the market. Mm -hmm. And risk management is job number one, along with that being in sync with the market. Okay. So mm -hmm. if you're going against the market, all the odds are against you. So I think those two, because I never really paid attention to what the market was doing. It was just right. like, let me go find a good stock and buy it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know what the market's doing, like right now is perfect uh, situation. Yep. Um, I've been in cash for a lot for many months. And then just a couple of weeks ago when you when IBD confirmed an uptrend, there were some things setting up. So I took three pilot positions in the last week or two. Mm -hmm. I sold them all on Monday. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I'm back I because they they weren't working. Yeah. Okay. And I knew the Fed was coming up. And I mean, I'm no genius by any stretch, but if you follow that. Like 2020 is a great example. That's why I did monster stock lessons. And I'm, you guys got to reel me in because here I go again. I'm going, <laughs> no, oh, keep okay. going. That's no, okay. no, no, That's no. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So 2020, when that, that was the fastest bear market in history in one month. But it, because it was so short, it came out of it because people realized, you know, the whole world's not going to end. Mm -hmm. So, and you guys really nailed it with your watch list every week in IBD, your IBD uh, 50 mm -hmm. and the stock, you know, all those selections you have in the paper. And 
DocuSign was in there and Zoom was in there and Zscaler right. and et cetera, right. et cetera. It was just all these stocks were setting up and started to break out. And then the, the market turns up, new highs start to exceed new lows. There was not one day in March where new highs exceeded new lows. As a matter of fact, there were days when it was negative 3,000 or more. So <laughs> you can't have a sustained uptrend with with stocks, more stocks making new lows and new highs. Right. So in April, you have this uptrend and these top traders are in there. And, you know, I got in a bunch of those and I had, I had my best year ever in 2020 because I was moving with the market and the trend. Mm-hmm. How and confident were you at buying at, in the beginning of April? Were, were you what was it were you just following the rules or did were the emotions affecting you a little bit and and saying you know what it, it is pretty scary out there it's a little scary uh, like for instance zoom i got i got kicked in and out of that thing several times yeah. trying to get it to move nope. but really those mistakes those were my mistakes versus the market i was buying it as it was coming out i like to buy off of power versus a down you know a pullback Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when you started buying zoom i think it was in early april um it would take off and then it pull back and then it take off and pull back it did that a couple times and i was like whipped in and out of that thing a couple times and then it settled down and started to move so i never gave up on it yep got back in it docusign was better um and then as as um may came around you really started to see the buying power come in and more stocks coming out. So I hopped on those first two, but I've said this before on these, the Lavango Health to me was the perfect stock. You know, there's a book called by Kodeshwar called Taser for Taser called The Perfect Stock about Taser. Uh-huh. And that was a monster of all time. But Lavango was beautiful base, came out in mid-April, late April, um, never once violated a 21 day, didn't even come close to a 50 day, mm-hmm. moved up on volume, sat or pulled back on very low volume and just ran up and ran up and ran up. And then in August announced it was getting bought out for 140 bucks. And that yeah. thing broke out at like 26. So yeah. I know Matt Caruso and Oliver Kell all made 400% plus profits in that stock. Mm-hmm. Um, so the. The top traders were in those stocks, but what you were doing, you're getting back to the question. You're moving with the market instead of against it. Like right now, if unless you're in oil and gas, longs have been tough to make any traction. Even recently, Mm -hmm. I had a few that I liked that were long and they broke out a little bit and then they pulled back and then they dropped. And I said, I'm out of here. I'm not going to hang around and do this. If, if it wasn't for IBD or back in the nineties reading that stuff, I would never have done stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So staying in tune with the market risk management, if I'm down, you know, those didn't work just for four or five days. I'm not going to hang around because Good, strong uptrends, those things would have moved. Enphase is another one. It's a great looking stock, but it's it's just hanging around 300 bucks. In a strong uptrend, that thing would be flying right now with the True. numbers it's put up and how many eyes are on it. 
and et cetera. So th that kind of tells you, gives you some clues how strong or how weak of an environment you're in. And when you're in an environment from April 2020 to September 2020, that could have been your whole year. It's true. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, guys made there were lots of triple digit um, traders in 2020 who did that. Mm -hmm. Now, if you sat with those and wrote them all the way down, like a couple of hedge funds that I won't mention, yeah. then you gave everything back. You round tripped a right. massive opportunity. And those are things that I learned from O'Neill and Darvis and Wyckoff and Baruch and Loeb and et cetera, et cetera. Because all those guys and Minervini and Ropel, mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. all learned from the ones before them. But what I did was I took it all the way back. How far back does this go? O'Neill studied Loeb a lot and Jack Dreyfus. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Jarvis studied Loeb and Humphrey Neal, who wrote a great book in 1930s. Yep. And then you go back again. Loeb studied, he knew Baruch, and they went, they had conversations about what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And then Baruch knew Livermore and Wyckoff knew Livermore. Wyckoff was the first one. He was active in the market in 1888, a couple of years mm -hmm. before Baruch and, and Livermore. But so there you've got this string and the right. strategy list for each of those traders is exactly the same. Yeah, it's so you, interesting. So now you've got Ropel and, you know, Ropel is a, <laughs> Ropel's funny. He goes, I'm just a hat. I'm just a, I'm just a, all I do is follow O'Neill. It's uh -huh. kind of not, a lot of it's true, but, and Minervini learned from O'Neill. So these, all these traders, there's this string and that's what I wanted to prove, I guess. Or like, I want to, I was just curious, how far back does this get? Mm -hmm. And it, all the way back, like 130 yeah. years. Now, well, I, I think another, and sometimes it's a, uh... Oh, go ahead, Arusha. Oh, well, I will just just very quickly. Another key thing, and you, you kind of alluded there to it, John, where they're, they're learning from those who came before them. And and I think Mark Minervini and, and Jim Ropel are two two of the guys who, who are more current times, but uh, they made it their own too, right? Mm -hmm. they, they they adapted it to their own personality. And, and that mm -hmm. is a key thing because that's how you really start to get better because you start making the mistakes on your own and learning from those mistakes. Well... I, one of my key points is everybody tweaked it to their fit there because we're all different. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So Darvis was different than Loeb and Loeb was different than Livermore and O'Neill expanded on everybody ahead of him. Mm -hmm. And somebody asked, I think it was um, Richard on Trader Line, what about O'Neill? I said, well, after I wrote the first couple books, I tried to be like him exactly. It didn't work for me because mm -hmm. I'm not like Right. I called him in my first book, the chairman of research. I don't think I've ever studied somebody who dug that deep into every single detail of the market. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The stocks, the fundamentals, the technicals, et cetera. I mean, I do a lot of research, but I keep mine up here. I'm not, I'm not like that where I can dig that deep. Yeah. And so then that's okay. I have to tweak something to that works with me. So I'm kind of more of a maybe Darvis 
personality in the market way, but I'm trying to be a piece of some of these guys that I study. And they're all different. You're right. Menervini's yeah. added numerous things to his. Ropel right. does get off and do things that he's figured out because mm-hmm. we all figure things out. And but the core, the core strategies, mm-hmm. staying with the trend of the market, risk management, cutting your losses short, accepting that you're going to be wrong at least fifty percent of the time. And just being the history, they all studied history before. Yeah. I mean, O'Neill, he's a history book. He's a walking history book is what he (laughs) is. And so all that stuff that these guys carried from the priors, the core strategies are there. They've tweaked things along the way. Loeb did the skittish trading. I mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Kind of like a swing trading thing. So he could get in and out. He was very flexible. So that's the key strategy that I came came out uh, from studying him. They all had strengths and weaknesses. They were all better at certain things and not at other things. So mm-hmm. you're right. You're right. You tweak it, but you don't. You don't just say, "Well, I'm I'm going to just go against the trend of the market," or "I'm not. I'm going to just let my losses run." Those key pieces are the discipline that keep you in the game. And if you're not disciplined on those, you get in big trouble. That's true. So when we come back, we're going to get a little bit more into some of the lessons that John Boyk has learned by all of his reading and studying of history. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The Direction Hydrogen ETF offers exposure to the top 30 pure play hydrogen economy companies by largest market capitalization, leading the way towards net zero emissions by providing more accessible, efficient, sustainable solutions across five hydrogen-related sub-themes. With clean hydrogen-based energy expected to grow five times in the next 30 years, companies building hydrogen-related businesses to generate power, heating, transportation, and more will likely thrive. Okay, welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Direction. It's Justin Nielsen here along with my weekly guest, Arusha Pierce, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager, and our guest this week, John Boyk, author, market historian, and uh, I guess just a compiler of knowledge from all <laughs> sorts of different sources. Uh, so, um, so Arusha, why, why don't you go ahead and start out with uh, with, with the question? Yeah. So, well, I mean, we were getting into re- really kind of that next concept there at the end of the first segment, getting your mind right. I mean, we all know, you know, as you, you we all learned this the hard way after after doing this for so many years, making so many mistakes. You know, it it really is just a battle with yourself, a battle with. Uh, really trying to get get yourself in control of your own mind, right? So talk a little bit about that, what you've learned from, from these uh, legends in the market. Well, I, I was going to say that to me, the best book on that, because it's in a whole nother um, subject that has to be mastered, is Trading in the Zone by Mark Douglas. So okay. I think I've probably read that book more than any other book, just wow. to be honest. Yep because it instills the discipline. So after, you know, after reading O'Neill's book and then for several years, I was just like, discovered that, yeah, this is really you against yourself. And 
the market, everybody makes excuses like the market's bad or I did bad because of the market. And it's, it's not. The market's going to do what it does and you have to move with it or without it, whatever you're going to do. But it's your decisions. I've said this in the past, too. You know, I worked as a financial guy for, you know, many decades with other companies. When you work for a company, there's rules in the company. You know yeah. what you can do and what you cannot do. And if you break the rules, you'll probably get fired. Well, in the market, there are no rules. I mean, there's no boss except for how much capital you have and how much you can maybe go on margin. But no one's going to tell you every day you can't do this or you should do that or whatever. You are running without a boss. And so you have to create rules that keep you in line or you're going to get severely hurt. So I read Trading in the Zone many times, and I was then I went back to O'Neill's book, How to Make Money in Stocks, or The Successful Investor, which I, I love that one. It's, it's so one. funny. I, I usually recommend that one. Successful Investor with 24 Lessons, because it's yes. smaller, it's easier. It's easier. Kind yeah. of like what you were writing, you know, kind of one of your goals. It's it, right it's, to the point, and yes. the greatest points are in there. But I always kept going back to even How to Make Money in Stocks. I was like, how come he doesn't really talk much about the psychology side of it. And then if you read what he's done or studied him, it, it hit me one day. I said, Oh, you know why? Cause he is extremely disciplined. Mm -hmm. So he creates rules that he doesn't bend or break, but most of us bend or break our rules. Right. So you can write them all out. You can repeat them a thousand times. And in one of my books, I, this Gerald Loeb came up. This was in the 60s. He was talking to a reporter and he said, cutting your losses short is the, is the easiest thing to write in a book because he wrote a couple books. It's <laughs> the hardest thing to do to force yourself to constantly do it because you start to second guess yourself or right. I'll give it a little bit of room or whatever the situation is. But and there's no boss to tell you, you must. Yeah, <laughs> you must right. do this, right? That's correct, because you're your own boss and you can do whatever you want. But it, it dawned on me that O'Neill never talked much about that because his points were just like, look, you cut your loss at 7%. That's it. You just mm -hmm. do it. And he yeah. did it. So I was like, well, but a lot of people aren't disciplined enough to kind, kind of do that. Well, then why are you creating the rule in the first place? Mm -hmm. So he stuck to the rules. Jim Ropel, um, you know, you've talked to him several times. He's got on his monitors in his office, um, 3%, 5%, 7%. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I told his story in that second book. And uh, I said this before, too, on a, on a podcast. You want an entertaining day, go sit in Jim Ropel's office while he's trading during the day. It's hilarious. <laughs> So, I well, mean, well, just hanging out with well, Jim Rope yeah, entertaining just, I was just, I, yeah. so, It doesn't matter I, what he's doing, it's going to be entertaining. So. When, I, when I interviewed him for that second book, I flew down there and I said, I just want to sit in your office and watch. Pretend I'm not here. And he's just like, you know, got all the screens. He's, he's like, oh, Mr. Big, hang on. I got to take this call. And I'm like, what do you ask? Don't ask permission from me. And he's like, Sorry, man, I got to do this. And he's like so fast and he knows what he's doing. But I was just, it's just been very entertaining. But anyway, to keep himself disciplined, he's got it on his main monitor, 3%, 5%. I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. I take a position. If it drops 3%, I sell a third. 
It drops 5%, I sell the second third. It drops 7%, I'm out. Mm-hmm. No exceptions. Because he mm-hmm. took some massive hits early on when he didn't know what he was doing. So you have to live through these, I think. You have to you have to lose in order to know how to win type of thing. And you create these rules, but still people, we're still human. We're, we all bend them here and there. And that's what gets people into trouble. But getting your mind right means I'm my own boss and I have to create rules that I stick yeah. to. And it's up to me. It's not the market's fault. It's my fault if I break this rule. Mm-hmm. Did, did it get easier for you to, to sell at that, that 7% or sell at whatever your exit strategy uh, is it, in, in for your rules? Gets, I think it gets easier with experience. Yeah. You, you know better. I mean, yeah. I just said a couple of days ago, I just got rid of these three because they weren't working. They weren't down. Maybe one was down seven. I think the other was down four. Or, and I was just like, it's not worth it. It's not working. So why wait? Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, it's not worth it. So I think over time, the more you're in it, the more mistakes you made, the more you've lost, it forces you to get back on track and mm-hmm. it forces you to be disciplined in your approach. And yeah. look, all these guys, Minervini lost money for six years in a row. Ropa yeah. lost for six and seven years in a row. Um, Livermore went broke three times. Okay. Um, Loeb lost his first inheritance. He lost money that his mother gave him an inheritance. He lost all that. Baruch lost money his father gave him to begin with. These guys had to get stomped on. Darvis lost money for the first six years of his of trading. He didn't know what he was doing. He was doing the same thing. I'm taking tips. I'm reading brokerage mm-hmm. reports. Right. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And it's trial and error. It's hit and miss. And, and if you're going to continue doing staying in the market you better learn that you need some hard and fast disciplined rules you need the rules but you need to be disciplined enough to to abide by them and you also think that's always different right you know it's those the the great traders are the ones that do that kind of post analysis the introspection the wait this isn't working what do i have to do different you know there's those traders that say this isn't working it's the market's fault it's you know this person's fault and you know if i if i only had more money or if i had yeah. this yeah. then i'd be successful but it's the great know. traders that do the introspection and say okay what what do i need to do differently to be good at this well that example you just gave is a difference between somebody who blames somebody else for everything that goes wrong to them versus i think it's me yeah, I right. need to look inside and go, oh, I, I made this mistake or I jumped the gun or I didn't cut it or I wasn't paying attention to what the market was doing or I'm just it's just not right or just you can come up with a hundred of them. I mean, they're, you know, it's all excuses. But if you don't get if you don't get your mind right to say this is this is me against myself. And patient that leads to patience, mm-hmm. the more patience you have in the market, I saw a tweet from a guy yesterday, somebody I follow, and he basically said to the point, I'm still sitting here. I've been sitting here since November 21st from 2021. And I was like, damn, that's now that's patience. Yeah, I can't say that because I kind of jumped into these stupid rallies and they didn't add up to much, but 
you know, the best ones will, they'll be patient and they, they don't bend and break rules. They have well, confidence. They well, have I would, I would also say, John, that it's patience to really give yourself time to learn it. Right. I mean, a lot of times what I've That's told true. people in, in, in the past is the ones who end up getting this down and really, uh, really put it together are the ones who just hang around long enough. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that requires having risk management to survive a lot of those mistakes. And then eventually you might find yourself in something like a 2020 where things just work a lot better. They work a lot better. I mean, Ropel says this, uh, you know, he does this podcasts and they're, they're really good. If, uh, people should, should tune into those. He's what, 57. And he keeps saying, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing this till I'm 97. So I got 40 more years. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so he said, okay, in 40 years, how many more bull markets am I going to, I mean, raging bull markets am I going to see? You're going to see quite a few. So if you even see 10 and he knows what to do, he knows what not to do. So he's going to, you know, he's going to be triple digits again, Many times, as, as right. long as those opportunities arise, he's going to jump on them and do that. And that's the best traders do that. They wait. They sit and wait and wait for the right time because you can trade yourself out of your account. If you're for just sure. if you're if you don't know what you're doing, you don't know how history works. You don't know how the cycles work. You don't know what the Fed does, how it influences the markets, which is what we're seeing today, how this downtrend is looking. And you know, it keeps getting kicked back with these moving average lines mm -hmm. i mean it's just you know great markets have the 200 day line down here then the 50 then the 21 then the 10 right that's how it works okay that's not the way it is right now <laughs> you have you have new highs exceeding new lows on a daily basis in mid-May 2020 to September, the first week of September 2020, there were 79 straight trading days in a row where new highs exceeded new lows. There wasn't one day in that time frame where new lows exceeded new highs. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, if you can wait for that, like April 20, April and May of 2020, and the leaders were popping out all over the place. There were... In Monster Stock Lessons, I have 29 of them that all traded over a million shares a day on average and all moved over 100% in that year. 29 of them. And they all look the same, same patterns, right. same price and volume action, screamed ahead. Yeah. And it's funny because a lot of times, you know, these opportunities come around, you know, uh, they, they, they come around regularly. So for people that think, Oh, we're never going to see a 2020 again. You know, maybe not a 2020, but you're going to see a, a great bull market. And, you know, that that's just kind of a given. And I guess, you know, what a lot of people have to realize is that your, your performance isn't going to go in a linear fashion. It's going to jump up. Then as long as you're protecting yourself, it's not going to do anything for a while. And then you're going to have these jumps up again. Uh, even Minervini. 2021, he had a great year where he beat right. the, you know, I mean, he, he was top. Well, he on won the, investing, the he, you know, yeah, 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 he won the National Investing Championship. And even that year wasn't linear. He was like, look, I made a bunch of my money in the first couple months. And then, you know, I made a percent or two for the next couple, you know, the, the, the next few months. And that just compounded what I had. Yeah. It was just about not losing it, not losing the big gain that I had in the, in the beginning. So, well, 
I, I featured him in Monster Stock Lessons, which came out earlier this year because I asked him if he wanted to be mentioned in the book and he said yes. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, so let me detail how you did this in 2021. You had 334%. I mean, you slaughtered it. I mean, it's, I mean, in a, in a choppy uptrend, <laughs> yeah. what okay. happened was in starting in February and in March of 2021, sector rotation started coming in. The big leaders of 2020 were already coming down. Yeah. So you had this sector rotation coming in and breakouts would start and then they'd stall. Mm -hmm. He saw that and he, he acted on that. So what he did was he tightened up his time frame, mm -hmm. like like a Gerald Loeb did right. in the in the 30s, and Wyckoff used to do that in 1915, 16, 17, when the market was choppier. He would take he would tighten up his time frame, still jump on these, ride them out for just a few days or a week or two, and then get rid of them, and then mm -hmm. they pull back. That's how Minervini did that. He was in and out of, he was buying breakouts, but he knew they wouldn't last. So he, and he piled into them too. He took big positions and just did the turnover in his account over mm -hmm. and over month after month after month. That's how he did that. Mm -hmm. It's not his core strategy, but his core strategy to me is I'm just taking what the market's giving me. Yeah. And if it's that, if that's it, and I'm in a contest and I want to win, I got to do what I need to do to win. Mm -hmm. He's very competitive. So that's what he did. Well, and if you want to talk about discipline, Mark is oh. one of the most disciplined people I've ever met. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So so he's another good another good one to, to learn from uh, of a discipline. You don't get to that level without being disciplined. Absolutely. So, mm -hmm. so you've, you've kind of shared with us a lot of, um, you know, again, historically through time, there's these threads that you've you've almost put together uh, in terms of similarities. Um, you know, you've talked about the limiting limiting of losses, which just just as a quick side note, I will say that um, you know Bill told me a story about when he met Gerald Loeb, went to his mm -hmm. office in San Francisco. I'm not sure if yeah. you've heard the story, but yeah, the 10%. You know, yeah. yeah, he asked, you know, hey, you know, do you always cut your loss at 10 percent? And Gerald Loeb was like, I, I hope to get out before 10%. Yeah. You know, that's, well, that's, that's a way before that, <laughs> way before that, you know? So, um, you know, we, we've talked about discipline and, and stuff, but I guess maybe one thing that, you know, we haven't touched on quite yet is how much noise is out there now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, I think back to Darvis, you know, and, and there's the story in the Darvis book about, you know, I, I mean, here he is touring, he's getting his quotes like, two days later, you know, he's right. using Barron's that comes out once a week. Mm -hmm. um, and he's talking about a guy who's very successful that, you know, is what, what was he trading like in the woods, you know, basically, you know, and mm -hmm. so we, we've got all this stuff giving us this information, you know, on a daily basis. How do you kind of cut through the noise that we have now um, to, to really kind of stay focused on the rules and the discipline and everything? What, what's, and any tips you have for that? Well, for me personally, the only resource I use is IBD. So mm -hmm. I go through the paper every weekend. I go through the charts every weekend. And I read every night, Ed, typically Ed's uh, commentary. I think he's yeah, the futures column, right? so many times. And I leave it to that because 
That's all I use. Mm -hmm. Why? Because O'Neill created it and he's fact based mm -hmm. and he's historical. Nobody's done more historical study than he did. So it's not his opinions. It's not anything. He, he's always said the Canslim system isn't he didn't create that. He's just this is how it works. Right. It still works that way. So and as long as humans are involved, as Livermore said, the pockets change. But as long as people are there, it's not going to change. And we saw it in 2020. We're seeing it now. This this downtrend that's almost one year old now. It's going to be in two weeks. It'll be a year old. Um, it's just like all the similar ones that have mm -hmm. happened before it. So it's, it's not really different. And so if you find a source, a fact-based source, there's so much stuff out there. I kind of think back in the day it was better because they were so limited. But I, yeah. you know what? To me, it's, it's just another discipline. You have mm -hmm. to be disciplined to say, I'm just going to stick with this. I, I'm a fact-based person with history and I just want to stick with what's worked in the past because it does repeat itself. It's not the same all the time, of course. Times do change, but the patterns repeat themselves. Right. Stock patterns repeat themselves. Um, Stan Weinstein has proved with his stage analysis that stock market cycles, they all go through this. Mm -hmm. I'm working on this new thing where I'm, I'm, I'm analyzing every single major uptrend from 1900 to today. And every single downtrend. Wow. They're all similar. It didn't yeah, matter. Yeah. <laughs> it's 1903 yeah. or 2002. So the length of time can change, but there's an average there. And yeah. there's an average uptrend move and there's an average downtrend move. So it's like, you know, if you don't understand that, I think if you don't understand history in, in the market, you give it's a huge disadvantage to you. It was to me. I didn't know what the hell was. Mm -hmm. you know? Well, there were, there's one, I mean, there, there's one thing that you just really highlighted there with you, you have a, a simple routine, but it's a consistent routine. So you yeah. can notice the subtleties, right? Just by doing it every day, every week, uh, you're going to notice kind of the subtle shifts in the market, which will give you a heads up when the markets are getting stronger or weaker. And if you, if you study charts like you, you know, you guys have been there a long time too. I've said this before the ch a chart should jump out at you. Minervini said this, he goes, I don't find the charts. The charts find me. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. a chart should jump out at you, if you've been doing this for a long time within three seconds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'll get, I, if you want, I can give you a great example. So a couple weeks ago in IBD, AEHR was yeah. shown in the paper along with uh, DV. And I said, mm -hmm. wow, these are kind of new. Mm -hmm. And the chart, the IBD chart that was shown, which was the weekly for the last four or five months or so, I was like, that's the best thing I've seen in a while. Yeah. Up, positive um, volume on the upside. Um, it's got some overhead resist overhead resistance, which I didn't like. And I was like, it's an interesting company. It's got the fundamentals. They killed it on that. And the base looks good. And we kind of started to turn up. You know, you guys called the uptrend. So I said, let me take a small position, just a pilot position. And it started to work. And then it hit resistance like late last, I think it was Friday or something. 
Right. And I was like, okay, I didn't like that, but I'm going to give it a little bit more because it still hasn't broken anything, you know, too bad. And then the other day it just, it went up and pulled back down all the way. And I said, that's it. I'm out. It, mm-hmm. it didn't work. Okay. It might work. It's still hanging around the 21 day, I think. Um, and DV looked similar, but it's got that a lot of that overhead resistance right. I don't like. And then today it just, yeah. I, I was out of that one a couple of days because it didn't move either. So it's like, yeah. if they're not moving, why do I want to hang around? So that one cut everything today on pretty on higher volume, but it looked good in the paper that caught my eye immediately. And I was like, oh, let me dig into this. So the weekly looked good. Then you mm-hmm. go to the daily, mm-hmm. did a couple research on it. Um, again, I'm not O'Neill, so I didn't spend hours. I, it took me five minutes, and I was like, mm-hmm. this is interesting. I'm going to watch this. Um, and that's how those got on my radar. They didn't work, or they might, if the market turns around tomorrow and it's up 700 or something, but I doubt it. Who knows? We'll see. These may bounce off of those and come back. Right. But they looked decent. Yeah. In, based on whatever, if you're not in oil and gas, these were setting, they looked like they were setting up. Mm-hmm. And you guys pointed them out, and I said, that looks attractive. So, well, and here again, this is where the computers come in, right? You know, a lot of times yeah. we're starting with that fact based data, the computers are running the screens, and then it's just up to us to kind of recognize, <laughs> recognize what the computers are spitting out in Correct. terms of the technical yeah. analysis. Yeah. But I knew that, I mean, I if this was a rip-roaring uptrend, I would have piled in more. Yeah. These were small test buys, and I'm like, the market's still got some hurdles to get over. Yeah. And there's still a lot of uncertainty. New highs have just exceeded new lows for like five days, and they're lousy numbers. And we're not, we still have resistance ahead of us. There were a lot of unknowns. And then you had the Fed on top of that. So I was like... All right, I'll take a couple tests, but if they don't work kind of right away, I'm just not going to hang around. I mean, it's not worth it for me. So, Mm -hmm. everybody's different. I mean, some people would say, you know, you should have hung in there. I don't know. Well, but then there's this whole element of, and I think this is what a lot of people struggle with, is they don't want to be wrong. And so they kind of refuse to sell. Uh, and take that loss because they they just they just don't want to be wrong. They're like, hey, I got into this game to make money, and if I if I sell at a loss, it means I'm I'm giving up. And what if it comes back up uh, without me? And you know, all of all of those fears, I guess. Um, so I, there again, I guess it comes back down to that discipline thing. Yeah, well, that's how it works. And mm-hmm. you know, it's the odds are still against the long side. Yeah. yeah. So I, I posted on Twitter today, um, got some good comments on this. I put up a chart from 2020 on the NASDAQ. It showed that whole run up for the whole year. 79% of the trading days in 2020, the new highs exceeded the new lows. 79% of the time. And that included the, the March the downturn. March. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Which had wow. not one single positive mm-hmm. day to it on new mm-hmm. highs and over new lows. Then I started from November of last year when the up when the top started and gave it through to, to today. And 
74% of the trading days since November 16th, I think last year through, through yesterday, 74% of the trading days, the new lows exceeded the new highs. It's amazing. The complete opposite yeah. when you're in a downtrend from what yeah. an uptrend was. So I put on there, I said, look, O'Neill stated in his books, he did an extensive study on this. That's 75, three out of four, which is 75%. There you go. Follow the general trend of the market. Yeah. I said, huh, let me test it on the new high, new low. Look at that. They matched it almost perfect. That's right. incredible. <laughs> if you're, so here's the thing. So they say the average trader, the average experienced trader is wrong 50% of the time. Yeah. Right? Now, O'Neill was one of the best. I think he was when I sent him the edits to Monster Stocks, I put that in there because I wanted to see what the real answer was, and I guessed. And he sent it back to me. He goes, well, I've been right about 65, 66% of the time. I was like, wow, that's impressive. Uh, yeah. But the typical, even the typical professional trader will be right 50% of the time. So if you take those two examples I just showed, if you're long in a market where 79% of the days are, you're in a strong uptrend, and you're trading and you have the wind at your back, then you're going to be right seven, you know, three times out of four, right? Mm -hmm. On a downtrend, if you're in the long side and only 24% of the days, 26% of the days, new highs have exceeded new lows and three out of four stocks follow the general trend, you're going to be down that. If you add the two together, the 75% uptrend versus the, and the 75% downtrend, guess what you have? 50%. Yeah, I like that. So mm -hmm. if you want to increase your odds significantly, then you only trade in an uptrend on the long side and you stay completely out. A downtrend turns the corner and you have much more conviction in it. Like the stacking of moving and how they look in an uptrend 250 and you have new highs consistently overshadowing new lows if you wait for that and then wait for those breakouts and ride those up you're not going to get kicked out like i just did the, the odds are going to be on your side so but most people can't do that and mm -hmm. that's where the problems come in Mm -hmm. And that's what separates the great traders from uh, the ones that are still trying to make it work. Yeah. So if, well, you, if you round tripped 2020, yeah. then you, you had not studied history yeah. on market cycles and you have not disciplined yourself to be in a loss cutting, you know, managing your losses, accepting you're going to be right 50% of the time and et cetera, et cetera. You're going to break all the rules that the best traders over history for 130 years have implemented and learned the hard way. Yeah. So, well, when we come back, uh, we'll take a, a, a real quick look at the market, see what we can kind of, you, you've already covered a lot here in terms of uh, ways in which to apply history to the current market, but we'll kind of wrap that up in a nice little bow. Uh, look at any stocks that might be on your radar. Uh, not much, especially after today, but stay tuned with us. We'll be right back.
The Direction Hydrogen ETF offers exposure to the top 30 pure play hydrogen economy companies by largest market capitalization, leading the way towards net zero emissions by providing more accessible, efficient, sustainable solutions across five hydrogen-related sub-themes. With clean hydrogen-based energy expected to grow five times in the next 30 years, companies building hydrogen-related businesses to generate power, heating, transportation, and more will likely thrive. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Direction. It's Justin Nielsen, along with Arusha Pierce, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager, and John Boyk, our guest this week, who is a market historian and author of numerous books on legendary traders, legendary stocks, and what you can learn from history. So, uh, John, you know, you've, you've, you've already kind of gone through some of this stuff uh, with us already, but let's, let's go ahead and tie a little bow on it uh, with the market. Um, you know, what, what are we seeing here? I mean, obviously, you know, those, those things that you talked about in terms of the moving average lines being stacked properly, they're not, you know, they're stacked like a downtrend, uh, with 200 day above the 50 day line, uh, above the, uh, 21 day line. Um, you have value, uh, outperforming growth right now. So not quite the, the type of market that we, we thrive in. Um, but what else can you kind of put in? Uh, that historical perspective. Um, I mean, are you looking at just the technical action? Are you putting some of the macroeconomic uh, aspects to to bear here? Or uh, wh- what are you looking at exactly? Um, the answer would be yes to both of those. Okay. Um, the macro side, studying the history, there's really three or four major economic points that the market anticipates and reacts to at times. So that's inflation, interest rates, GDP, and unemployment. Mm -hmm. It has done that for all its history, ever since the Federal Reserve was created back in the day. And, you know, when the Fed is hitting the brakes hard, trying to cool inflation, I have never seen in history a sustained uptrend until the Fed acknowledges or pull or says in the future of this date, whatever, we're going to start easing up. Uh, Powell hinted a little bit at that today at the beginning, and then he just kind of threw it up. <laughs> so, I mean, and you saw the market's reaction. To, actually, I was watching that, and we, he, he's, there was one point where he said, well, you know, maybe we'll, we might pause in December or February, and then the, the Dow jumped to like 160 points, and then yeah. like three minutes later he said, no, we got to really squash this thing, and I don't see anything. And then it's just fell to the floor. So yeah, I just pulled up the five-minute chart, uh, yeah. uh, and you can just see it run up, and, and, and you, just you, you can see where the Fed announcement was, uh, right. where the press conference was, and yeah. then so, the uh, aftermath. Uh-huh. Those look. The market is all about money. Okay, it's all about investing in companies that are making money or growing their businesses to make more money. And the Fed is the keeper of the price of money. So when the price of money goes up, the market turns the other way because things get expensive. And then everything's getting expensive and inflation starts to rise. So inflation is rising. The Fed raises the price of money to try to knock it back down. And in they're typically they typically either overdo it either on the on the high side or the low side. And they're typically late. Yeah. Mm either trying to fix it or trying to fix their own errors. I'm not trying to, you know, but whatever. Um, um, 
And then when those happen, they affect companies' profits. And then company profits affect GDP. And then GDP affects unemployment. So you have, yeah, there's four or five. That's all you need. Those mm -hmm. things, re, the market reacts and it always, the market looks ahead. It's a disc, you know, it looks ahead three, six, nine months in advance sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's why when the Fed even acknowledges, they don't have to start cutting rates, but they acknowledge we're going to pause and we yeah. see some improvement here. The market will probably begin maybe a new uptrend. There's other issues, but those are the main key economic points that the market reacts to. And that's what they've been doing for the past 12 months. You see that the market foresaw this back in November of last year. It started the, it peaked and then started dropping. And look at all those tech companies from 2020. A lot of those are down 90%, oh, yeah. 80%. Yeah. Well, tech companies are, in, are impacted by higher interest rates because they have a lot of debt typically and they fund their investments with that. So that was, the market saw that, it anticipated that, it always has done that. Back in, in the second book, I write, you know, the market started turning up two or three months before the 1914 recession ended or whatever year it was. It did that all the time. Mm -hmm. So it anticipates those. So don't wait for the news. Watch the market's reaction or its anticipatory um, reactions to what they think is ahead. So, yeah, yes, and the, the, and the beauty is that it's all baked into the chart, right? You're going to see it. You'll baked see the falter days. You'll see the distribution days. Absolutely. Well, and I guess so, the question is with the with the with these bear market rallies, I guess that's where sometimes there can be some trouble, right? Because you're, uh, it's easy to get a little bit maybe too excited too early because you're like, oh, the market's seeing something. And, you know, people were getting excited about the potential of a pivot. And then you got the Wall Street Journal article that comes out and says, yeah, you know, some of the Fed members are, are kind of suggesting that they think, you know, they, they, they need to let the data catch up. Um, you know, so all of this stuff kind of goes into the mindset. And then we have today, you know, so again, well, it's how, how do you kind the, of reconcile those? I think the best answer to that is, first of all, the Dow is not in a bear market. The Dow, the Dow is 10 is down 10 percent for the year. Mm -hmm. So this has been a Dow index rally most of it the rallies we've had and that the dow is outperforming the nasdaq by a long shot yeah and the reason why because leading stocks that have been doing okay for the past 10 months or so are energy stocks mm -hmm. oil and gas stocks most of those are listed on the new york stock exchange so and the tech companies are getting hit because interest rates are going up so you have two different scenarios kind of playing out. Um, people that have done well this year, unless you're a master scalper or swing trader, you've probably done pretty good in these rallies. Unless you have shorted the techs or you're long oil and gas. Yeah. Those are the things that have worked this whole year. And right now the trend of those has not really changed oil and gas a couple months ago took a couple hits but it recovered them yeah and that's what led to that to me that uptrend bear rally that that you see well up until today so mm -hmm. you've got 
a couple scenarios going on. You could have played that those ways and probably done pretty good. Um, so it's not like as long as you didn't the, overstay your welcome. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not that all the indexes are down. You know, the Nasdaq's down thirty percent still this year. Yeah, that's a pretty hard hit. The Dow hasn't been hit as hard. Um, so there's some there's some people that have done well in oil and gas stocks. I know a few. So it's not a full blown everything's going you know to the bottom type of type of market. But it's been hard on the the techs and the growth stocks. Yeah. Um, how about some stocks? Uh, you know, you mentioned Enphase earlier. You talked about AEHR and uh, and DV. Um, any any charts that are jumping out, jumping out at you right now? Uh, you know, and again, unless, it's, it's a little bit tough after after somebody. Yeah, it's not, not, you know, for me, it's not a CTVA. I think is interesting. It's it's at a new high, so it's kind of it's an interesting company company and the price and volume looks good on that um that's a decent one uh so champion that's and that's in the agricultural area yeah so. um you know c cf has kind of been bouncing around but this one might be more interesting mm-hmm. if if things work out um and, and they're reporting earnings um tomorrow for yeah me. that's so. i i'm not in that thing but i, I wouldn't buy anything before earnings these days right. but yeah um Champion X, CHX, is kind of interesting. It's an oil and gas company play. It's, you know, man, it took a big, massive hit back then, but it's tightening up. And But again, this is just like, I'm not in that. I wouldn't, I don't even know if I'd go in it, but there's just not, there's not a lot. I think there's, there's too much overhang still. Again, I, I'm a big believer in new highs and new lows. If I can just harp on that for another minute. I didn't invent that stuff. Gilbert Haller wrote a book called The Haller Theory of Mark Stock Market Trends in 1962. In that book, he's got 20 years of the Dow and the new highs and new lows right under it. They they walk in sync with each other. Okay, mm-hmm. that, that goes back to the 40s. Loeb used to look at that. That was a key gauge for him. Darvis looked at it. Um, he only wanted new highs, so he checked. And he said, Darvis did another book called You Can Still Make It in the Market. came out in 1977, just before his death. It's a great book. And he talks about how he sat out the entire 73, 74 bear market. Hmm. He got so frustrated when it started, he kept getting kicked out of everything. Then he just stayed out completely. And then when the 75 bull market started coming up off of that, he piled into some stocks that, but he only saw them because I started seeing new highs overtake new lows in the beginning of that run. And then he jumped into Houston oil and he he made uh, more in McCormick. He jumped into some other stocks doing the same thing he did back in the late fifties and early Mm sixties. So, Talk about a guy who was disciplined to stay out when it was time to stay out, but then kept his eye on it and jumped in and looked at that gauge and it helped him get in to those stocks. Mm-hmm. And Alexander Elder wrote a book called The New High, New, New Low Index. It's a Kindle book. It's pretty good. Um, Weinstein uses it. He looks at it every day. So it's and some of these there's some young stud traders out there today. Matt Caruso, he uses it a lot. 
Um, I just think it's, you can't argue with it. Um, yeah. And think about it. It's mathematically impossible to have a strong uptrend without more stocks making right. new highs than right. stocks making new lows. It's right. not going to be the other way around. Yeah. And this whole year with 24% of the days positive in a bear market thing, and it, there it is. Here's your proof again. So mm -hmm. I like to see new highs exceed new lows, not just three or four days in a row. I mean, let's, you need strings of yeah. seven, 10, 15. You can go 20. There, there were several uh, times in 2020 where there were 34 days in a row. And then you had that 78, 79 days in a row from from uh, May to September. That's that's where I want to be. I want to mm -hmm. be because I want the monster stock. I want the stocks that are going to move. And, you know, O'Neill was all over that kind of stuff. I mean, his trades in in Syntex and mm -hmm. Amgen and eBay and Schwab and AOL and Qualcomm. He waited for that, waited for the base, waited for the market, jumped in, pyramided up, concentration. Yeah. I saw Scott O'Neill's um, interview, Arusha, with you the other day. I, I watched that back. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that he was, he had almost his entire account in Amgen in 90 and 94. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty impressive yeah that's conviction you better know what you're doing and then he you know at one point he owned almost five percent of what pick and save and yes. yeah 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 i mean jeez. i mean and then ebay in 2003 he almost had everything in that i mean you but concentrating in the leaders i mean riding them up and he knows how to sell them can you imagine it, it goes back to what you were saying earlier about o'neill yeah, and and I've, I've always thought the same thing is that no one studied the market more than him, especially for mm -hmm. growth stocks. Mm -hmm. And and so he, in many ways, has earned that right to really take these kind of aggressive bets when those rare times show up and they don't show up that often. But yeah. when those he and, and it's not just I'm putting everything in at once. Right. He's pyramiding in. He's letting we're, the market slowly pulling, pull it, uh, pull him in more and more into right. those stocks right yeah. and i think david ryan said it before it's like he's never seen anyone better than bill at honing in on the very best stock in the market and getting most of his money in it and as yeah. soon as they started acting funny that's what he yes. would say it just started acting funny uh yeah. he'd, he'd be out within days you and know? he didn't just do it once or twice yeah. that's the key <laughs> yeah. Yeah. he's done it he did it in over, every yeah. decade, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, yeah. the 90s, 2000. He's mm -hmm. done it over. So he knows what to look for. You know, he, you you gain so much from experience and yeah. the longevity of it. So that's why you're seeing like Minervini's been around for a while. Ropel's been around. Mm -hmm. These guys, when, when these next uptrends come, they're going to be there. They're going to be way out in front. They're going to be killing it because they know what to look for. They know what to do. They don't deviate. They don't make exceptions. They stay disciplined and they know that history is going to repeat itself and you'll have those again. Right. If it's, it could be three weeks from now, it could be three months. It could be two years from now, but does it matter? No. I mean, we'd all like it to have come sooner than later, but 
they'll be there again. They will. I was just going through these uptrends and just like the bottom in O2. So in O2, October O2, O'Neill started buying eBay. Right. It looked like the market, the market bottom, that was the low point it had. But if you look at those charts, you look at that index chart. Um, November, December, January were rough. Yeah. I mean, you coming out of a two year, two and a half year bear market, you're not just going to fly straight up. So it's, it's a rocky bottom for that. And then in February, you started seeing accumulation of higher volume on higher up days than all the selling pressure. And all that did in February was build up for the breakout in March. Yeah. And, you know, Ropel was in there. He stayed out a lot, but he would come in and out. And I think he was down 10% or something in 20, in 2002 or something. But when March 03 came around and that thing started to move, Ropel killed it on so many of them. I mean, he was up, he had a triple digit year. And he was in all, a lot of those leaders. So, so was O'Neill. I mean, those guys, that's what they do. They right. sit and wait. I mean, I hope this one doesn't go another year, but it might. We don't know. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty and overhang right now. And until you get over those, I don't know, that's just me. I'm keeping the powder dry. Well, well it's, it's, yeah, it's like what Ropel says, right? Um, you know, it's all it's doing. It's it's setting itself up for the next great bull market. So if it takes another year, it takes another year. Fine, but it's going to set it set itself up for the next great bull market where all of these things that we talk about are going to work that much better. And that's why Bill was always so optimistic. Uh, you know, uh, bear markets didn't bother him. Uh, you know, there was that optimism of, hey, this is just setting up for the next big bull run. So hopefully, uh, people can use this podcast and everything that you've just shared, John, with. Uh, uh, with our audience to kind of get um, get a leg up for that next uptrend and being able to recognize it, you know, the, the things that you look at, the new highs, new lows, um, all of those things. And I should also recommend for folks uh, following you on Twitter because you do give a lot of knowledge on, on your Twitter feed. That's mm -hmm. at Monster Stocks One, the number one, at mm -hmm. Monster Stocks number one. And of course, uh, you've got all of these books that people can uh, learn history from and learn from some of the best traders as you, uh, you know, condense all of this information into yeah, little bites lot. for them. <laughs> so really appreciate you coming on the show, John. It was great seeing you. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Absolutely. Okay. And um, thanks for joining us, everyone. I hope you join us next week. We're going to have Jared Bl Blickery from Yahoo Finance on. Um, he just recently had uh, and I on his show. So it's, uh, we're going to turn the tables on him and, uh, <laughs> start start interviewing him asking him the questions so hope you join us for that thanks so much for joining us this week we'll see you next time make sure to subscribe rate and review our podcast if you haven't already we'd really appreciate it you can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com we would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.